have any argument about who's the best conference right now. It's, it's, it's really not that close. The SEC is the best conference. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Saturdays in the SEC. Had a really good weekend of college football this past weekend. Some upsets. Some games went some ways we didn't expect to go. Um, some games were I expected the Auburn and um, A&M game to be an offensive game. I, I took the over 48 and a half. Um, I was wrong. It was a completely defensive battle. But we'll get into all that talks, really. Uh, that that we're, we, Me and Ken were just talking about it before we started recording. But the, the question around Auburn is, is Coach Cadillac going to get the head coaching job? And in my honest opinion – this is the only way that Cadillac is going to get the head coaching job, is if he beats Western Kentucky and then goes into uh, Tuscaloosa in two weeks and takes down Alabama. That gets Auburn to bowl eligibility after overtaking the team at three and five, then getting them to six and six. He's going to he's going to get the head coaching job if that happens. But the thing is, is Auburn's not going to beat Alabama, so he's not going to get the head coaching job. Now, whoever Auburn does hire. If they've got a brain cell, they will retain him on staff. I mean, this is not a hard decision. Anybody who is in the loop and being interviewed for this job has a pulse or has their finger on the pulse of what's going on in this uh, program right now. They're seeing what Cadillac's doing, how the fans are reacting. If he's not retained on the next coaching staff, the coaching staff's going to lose half the team when he walks in the door. Yeah. So he's going to be on staff next year, but I genuinely don't believe he's going to be the head coach that – they can't step that far out on a limb because I've said it before, but if Auburn misses on this head coaching hire, they're going to be what Tennessee was the last 15 years. I mean, it just they cannot miss, or it's going to be bad for the future of college or for future of Auburn football uh, for for the next long while. So they've got to get this hire right. And there are reports going around Auburn uh, that Auburn left on a jet today to go to Oxford to pretty much get Lane Kiffin. They gave him – there's reports out there that they gave him 48 hours to respond to whatever deal they gave him. I have no – I mean, I have no shadow of a doubt that it's a huge deal, probably seven- to ten-year deal with around eight-and-a-half to ten million a year is probably what it's going to be. And if that's the case and he does take it, then Saban's going to get a pay raise because in his contract it says he has to be one of the high, the top two highest-paid college coaches mm-hmm. in, in college football, obviously. But I, I want to hear some of your thoughts. Um, obviously, we know that I'm, I'm a huge Lane Kiffin guy, but you know, break down what you were just talking to me before we started recording. Well, I think, like you said, I think obviously Lane's the top priority. We kind of known that right. for a while and and all that. I think if he does end up taking it, I don't think you're going to hear it right away. Mm-hmm. I think it'll break right after the Iron Bowl, yep. after regular season's over. Yep. I think it'll be kind of hush hush probably for a while, um, but. You know, there's obviously you've heard Hugh Freeze's name, which I predicted a, a, a while back, mm-hmm. and I like him a lot. I mean, but kind of what what Josh Pate was saying on Lake Kick, just he was down in Auburn and talking to uh, a lot of people down there that you know in the administration. I, I don't know if they're gonna go that route, um, you know, because of his past, maybe or just some other things. Not sure, but I do think he would be. I think either one would be a good choice, personally. And with the Cadillac situation, to me, it's more of, like, 
he's doing what he's supposed to right now. Like, his job really is, from an X's and O's standpoint, there's not a lot you can change up. You're this late in the year. Mm-hmm. His his job is to get everybody to buy in and go play hard. And he's accomplished He's accomplished what he needed to and yep. what everybody wanted to see. I think he's emphasized the run game more. I like their, I like their misdirections mm-hmm. they've used. Um, because we know they don't have a good passing game. You know, the quarterbacks, whoever it's been, Robbie or TJ, whoever, the passing game struggled. You know, they've got holes at receiver. So, I think he's doing a good job of emphasizing, hey, whether it's misdirection or whatever, hey, we're, we're going to get the ball in our best players' hands. We're going to emphasize that. And he's, you know, and their best three players on offense, obviously, are Robbie running mm-hmm. and then, obviously, Tank and Jarquez. So, and he's doing a good job of, of making sure those guys get the ball. So, um I'm like you. I don't think it's going to be him. The only way I think it would be, like you said, obviously if he won the Iron Bowl. Um, but I, I think even, like, I, I think they are probably going to have a decision before that ever even happens anyway. So um, I think it would have to be they would miss on a few top candidates so they get a little bit further down their list maybe and they go, well, we could go hire a coordinator type somewhere else or we can just stick with Cadillac. Mm-hmm. So, um I, I do think it is a good shot. It's going to be Lane, obviously. Um, I think Ole Miss and some people were saying it was loud. I'll be honest, it just did not sound loud on TV at all. I mean, they were up ten nothing in the first quarter, and it it may have been loud. I don't know. Maybe it's just the way CBS audio was. I don't. I don't know. It just didn't sound loud mm. compared to some of the other stadiums that I've seen Alabama play in this year. So. And, you know, he's kind of uh, been at odds a little – or, you know, been frustrated with Ole Miss fans a little bit. And I know for a fact he's kind of uh, at odds or upset with their NIL situation. Mm -hmm. They don't have – they don't have the funding a lot of other schools, especially Auburn, have. So, um, I I think it's a good chance it could be him, honestly. And to be honest, one reason I think it could be him is I think he wants to be in the middle of Saban and Kirby, to be honest with you. Who's that? uh, Lane, oh, I, I think Lane, like you know, he's always talking about Nick Saban, Nick Saban, Coach Saban, my buddy Coach Saban, all that. You know, he's always kind of you know making comments, you know, yeah. and it's all you know fun. But and there's only two teams in in the SEC that play Alabama and Georgia every year, and yep. it's Auburn and Tennessee. And he ain't going back to no, Rocky Top. <laughs> no, and I think Auburn gives them a much better chance mm-hmm. to compete with both of those because right. they they have the resources you need to be able to do that. Ole Miss really doesn't, or at least not on a consistent basis. So, um, even though he's done a really good job there, but he would have a lot more fan support, a lot more resources at Auburn. So, and I think he would kind of like being in between those Mm -hmm. two and getting to play those two every year and be on a little bit more equal footing uh, as far as, you know, resources and personnel go. And that's also another reason of why he or his agent, Jimmy Sexton or whatever his name is, has not demanded but has – pushed for such a high contract because he is a coach that has to play both Saban and Kirby. So the stakes are a little higher for him because, like I said, there's only two coaches in the country that have to do that every year. Jimmy Sexton is the Scott Boris of college (laughs) football. Absolutely. He's got all the big names. Oh, yeah. He's he's got his pockets padded for sure. (laughs) But here's my gripe on um, Hugh Freeze. Great coach. He's, you know, built programs. He's been successful everywhere he's been. But my only thing is, his best years were 2014-2015 at, at Ole Miss. But in 2014, 
He beats Alabama. He's undefeated. He's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven and zero. He beats Alabama, A and M, Tennessee. He's got a three game win streak. Well, then he goes to or LSU and loses ten to seven. Then he comes to Auburn and loses thirty five to thirty one to a eight and four team or a seven and two team. Uh, and then they lose to Arkansas, get shut out thirty to nothing on the road. So that year he beats Alabama. He sets himself up to win the SEC, and he does nothing with that win. And the next year you look, twenty fifteen. Does the same thing. The Beats Alabama again. <laughs> yep. Beats Alabama again. So, you know, crazy stuff both years to, to beat Alabama. Goes 10 and 3. But again, he does nothing with those wins because he he still goes, ends up going 10 and 3. And I believe he, he lost two games in the SEC. So he's able to win big games, but he's not able to do anything with those big wins. He also was there for. 2012 to 2016, so five years. This is Lane Kiffin's fourth year, I believe. Mm-hmm. Lane Kiffin has done more with him. Now, you can argue that Lane Kiffin um, inherited a better Ole Miss program than what Hugh Freeze did, and you yeah. can argue that because Hugh Freeze's first two years, they won like one game and then like four games. So mm-hmm. you can you can argue that, and that's a fair argument. But also, Lane Kiffin won the most games in regular season history at Ole Miss. He has done more than – Hugh Freeze has. And that's my only gripe is Hugh Freeze, yes, he can win the big games, but he's not proven that he can do anything with those big wins because he still loses to eight and two teams and eight and four teams or seven yeah. and two, eight and four teams, whatever it is. So he's he hasn't proven that he can consistently win seasons, not just games. And so that's what I think they're – their hold up is if I if I had to make a guess that would be my hold up is because you don't want somebody like like Lane said after the the game this past weekend you don't want somebody uh, we didn't come here to, to cover spreads we didn't come here to play the, the at the time he was talking about two years ago the number one team in the nation well he's like we came here to beat Alabama we came here to win the game I don't give a shit what how many yards our freshman running back had yeah we didn't win the game is what he said so I, I agree with that hundred percent I like obviously. His mindset, but that that I think that that's what's going to get Lane Kiffin the hire or the the look before Hugh Freeze is just because historically he's done more with his seasons than Hugh Freeze has. Yeah, I think uh, like I said, I mean we know Lane's a top tour. I think you know I I think he's a good. Obviously, if you don't get Lane, I do think he because I do think he's a better coach <laughs> since then. You know, he did. I will give him a little defense in 2014 because he had Bo Wallace, mm-hmm. the the old Miss version of Stephen Garcia. So, <laughs> That's fair. I mean, That's so a fair Bo point. Wallace did have the game of his life against Alabama like uh, about 10 other guys have had, and then he parlays that into absolute nothing <laughs> after that. So kind of like right. the rest of Ole Miss's year. But, no, I think both are solid options. I mean, clearly they're prioritizing Lane, mm-hmm. which makes a lot of sense, and, you know, everybody knows why. But um, – but I, I do think, you know, I think he's an option worthy of being in those top few. And I do think he will – I mean, obviously he's done a great job at Liberty, had some great seasons, and I think he'll do well wherever his next stop is. But um, it's going to be interesting to see. You know, obviously, um, you know, there's been – and I wasn't even going to ask you much about it, but there was so much on the airwaves today yeah. about Cadillac, call, people calling in, like, that atmosphere the other night. So just – you were there. Kind of describe the atmosphere, though, not because it did 
uh, you know, it sounded great on TV. It, you know, it felt, mm-hmm. it looked like a, or at least sounded on TV like a typical Auburn-type atmosphere, just the energy. And even though with them being 3-6 and six coming into the game, it's still, like, it was amazing the way he was able to rally, Cadillac was able to rally the team mm-hmm. and the fans. Just kind of give me your perspective from the night. Absolutely. It, it has not been that packed at kickoff since the Penn State game. I wasn't able to be at the Penn State game. My mm-hmm. sister was there. I obviously saw pictures, saw the TV, obviously. So it had, had not been that packed out. Jordan Hare had not since the Penn State game week three. At kickoff, I mean, completely packed house. They're doing the light show. They're doing everything. Cadillac and the boys come out, arms locked like mm-hmm. they did back under Tommy Tuberville. I saw that. I went nuts in the stand. I started screaming like, you know, going crazy. <clears throat> And then the energy's there. The sidelines going nuts. The stands are going nuts. Like it, it is, it is great. And then Auburn comes out, and their defense is playing off the wall. I'm talking about they are doing great. So the energy is going. The energy is getting there. I think the first like seven possessions for Texas A&M in it in punts or something like that. Like defense playing out of their minds. And it was cold. Six thirty kickoff. Yeah, it was in cold. the middle of freaking November. Mm-hmm. The only I, I I was mad a little bit on Saturday night, but it wasn't at the team. It wasn't about anything that went on in the game. I was so mad at the Auburn fans on Saturday because, again, it is November 12th. It is a 6.30 kickoff. That means it's going to be nighttime when the game kicks, and it's the middle of November. It's going to be cold. You got a weather app on your phone. It might not be 100%, but it's in the ballpark. Dress accordingly. Bring a blanket. Wear layers. I mean, I was literally out there wearing two sweatpants, two jackets, and I had a blanket, and I brought a dang stadium seat so my butt wouldn't get cold. <laughs> and I stayed the whole entire game, and it didn't really get brutal until the middle of the fourth quarter. When I tell you, I'm not exaggerating, the people sitting to my right, it was a guy and a girl. I'm assuming they were a couple that were around my age. They watched the first offensive drive from Texas A&M, and then the first offensive drive from Auburn, and they got up and left. And I was like, I guess they're going to the concession stand. They never, ever, ever came back. Yeah. Well, about two minutes into the second quarter, both of the top sections or both of the upper decks, corners, emptying. I mean, like, empty. I'm like, what in the hell? Halftime hits. I mean, there is maybe on each side, well, really on the home side of the upper deck, was pretty full, except on the corners, but on the opposite side, the visitor side upper deck, that I'm not exaggerating when I said there was 150 people in there at halftime. Midway through the third quarter, there might have been 20 people in that upper deck. The upper decks were just flooding. They were just leaving. And I get it was cold, but it wasn't that cold. But I literally looked at the people to the left of me, and I said, we ain't won a game in six weeks. We have complete control over this, and people are leaving. I was like, it baffles me. I'm pissed. I was mad. Yeah. I was like, we have complete control of this game, and they're leaving. And I'm like, I know it's cold, but again, it's nighttime in November. You know it's going to be cold. Dress appropriately or don't come to the freaking game. Don't buy a ticket. It it made me so mad because it was Carnell's first game. You know, it's big stakes for the future of the program of how, how they're going to go out of this season and into the end of the year and go into the offseason. It, it means something. And the stands are literally filing out in the middle of the first quarter. And I'm like – what in the hell is going on? I was so, so frustrated because it just looked bad. Like, you, everybody said, I told I told people that. Everybody said on the TV you couldn't tell, which they don't ever show the upper deck on the TV, so it looked fine because the, the bottom stands, the main level, the lower level was packed. It was 
field the whole game. But it was it really was just made me mad because it's like this this is the only highlight of our season, and y'all are bailing when <laughs> when when they need you the most. I don't know. It, it really grinded my gears. It, it pissed me off. But the remaining people that were there, kudos to you. Obviously, I was there with you, and it was loud for. It holds 87,451 people. By about halftime, there was probably 80,000 to 75,000 people in there. So it was rocking. It was still loud. But my favorite thing about the game was that at the end of the third quarter, you know, going into the fourth, you know, both teams do it every week, no matter who's playing. They run, huddle up, and you hold up their fours or whatever. Mm -hmm. Auburn didn't run a huddle up. They literally, like, I mean, they came together, but the sidelines just started dancing. There was. Songs going on. I mean, they're going nuts. It's like they're playing for, a, you know, winning the SEC West on that night. Like, and they're literally a three and six team. They're going nuts, swinging the towels, like clearly having the time of their lives. So, the energy is there, and the buy-in and the want to from the players is there more than it's been any other or the rest of the season. So that says a lot without saying anything at all. Yeah. But, yes, I mean, the people that were there and stuck it out and weren't wussies, yes, fantastic. Maybe crowd. their eyes were burned from that <laughs> atrocity that is Jimbo Fisher's yeah, no offense. Joke, dude. Because, I mean, dude. And, all, and like I said, I, I don't – and we know A&M's offense mm-hmm. isn't good, so I'm going to start with that. But And Auburn played a very good game defensively. There's no doubt about that. But – Dude, I don't think they could have completed passing against air, dude. Like, I mean, it was – dude, it was bad, man. Their offense was about as bad – and it's been bad this year. It was pathetic. Yeah, they, they I, couldn't like, – they didn't start moving the ball, passing the ball, and now, like, moving down the field until about back into the third quarter, and they started – were able to move just dink and dunk plays. But Auburn's defensive line or front seven, they were able to create pressure on Wegman or Wegman, however you say his last name, all night. Like – there was not a snap that he took that he didn't feel some type of heat. If they didn't get to him and touch him every time, he was feeling them. So the front seven for Auburn made the biggest difference in this game. If they don't play like that, um, it, it could be a completely different game. But the offense really it still looks the same. But the defense, they played out of their minds. And I saw a stat um, against – I can't remember who it was. The, the two, the, two ga- the last two games Brian Harson coached, um, Auburn's defense missed 42 tackles or 40 – three tackles, something like that. In Mississippi State and Texas A&M game, the defense has combined missed a total of 12 tackles. So you could tell that the, like I said, the want to and the, you know, the give a crap from the players is out there. And that comes from the coaching and the type of, you know, the way they're treated and the way that they are rallying around their coach and their leader. So, I mean, it says a lot about how they were being treated. Not saying they were being treated horribly by Brian Harson. But it's just different. He wasn't doing what was necessary to win this team over. And so it, it, it says a lot without saying anything at all. So, you know, props to Caddy. He has done a hell of a job. And I just want to, because Jimbo Fisher is 3-7 and seven mm-hmm. now, so I have to comment on this. How are you an offensive coach? Hey, number one, Connor Webb went 13 straight incompletions the other night. Their third quarter <laughs> offense, 14 plays. Negative three yards in the third quarter. Maybe it was a four quarter. I'm thinking yeah. of man, dang, I didn't fourteen it was that plays, late. negative three yards in the third quarter. Thirteen incompletions. You, they supposedly Moose Muhammad didn't play. We know Devon A. Chain didn't. Yeah, play. They, and apparently there's 
He got suspended for wearing arm sleeves? So, I don't know about that. Yeah, I, I think Jimbo probably just wants another excuse more than likely. <laughs> but here, here's a, a crazy stat as well. So, in A&M's games against Alabama and Auburn, plus five in the turnover margin and didn't win either one. And, and just a pathetic display, especially in this. I mean, I'll give them credit. They did score 20 against Alabama. This was... This is, I mean, this is them hitting a new low, honestly. Yeah. And, and like I said, a lot of that's due to, I mean, Auburn did obviously play a very good game defensively. I don't want to take any credit away from them. Yeah, but look but at this, it realistically. The, the, but mean. looking at it from, and, and knowing what A&M's done the whole season on top of Taking that, the logos off the helmets, just watching this game, just looking at it from that viewpoint. Their, their offense, man, is, for this guy, he is just, Jimbo is so stubborn, man. I, I really don't – I don't think he's going to get out of his own way personally. Like, I don't know – it just should not be this bad. I don't know how he can't talent. look around and say, okay, I, I, need, I either need to adapt or get left behind. Like, I, I don't know how he doesn't see that. Every other coach has adapted, and they've changed a little bit about themselves, whether they're a defensive guy or an offensive guy. They have adapted in what is going to make their team successful. And he has just been left behind in that in that way. He will not adapt. His, I mean, you hear everybody say it. His offense is archaic. His offense is archaic. But it's because it's true. It's he's running the same thing he ran back in FSU in the early two or the mid two thousands. I mean, it, nothing's different. And I don't think, you know, I, and I mentioned this earlier in the year. Um, you know, they they ran they run the most motions they do against Alabama when they play against everybody else. They don't run any mm-hmm. motions. They don't schematically. They don't. It's not – there's nothing to – there's really no creativity at the end of the day. There's no creativity, and I think that, that's that been part of Alabama's problem this year. I just don't think there's enough creativity getting favorable matchups for a lot of your skill players. And, um, yeah, I just – like I said, I, I just – for a guy that's an offensive guru, I just don't see how this product – I mean, it's just pathetic, honestly. And if he doesn't do anything in the offseason, they may not be as bad next year – but they're not going to be where they want to be. I mean, they're not going to be – I mean, he's he needs a good year next year. Oh, Otherwise, yeah. that buyout's getting paid and he's getting out of town. He's he's get, he's going to get one more shot next year. And that's – if he loses four or five games again, see ya. He's out, so, he's so out of town. So, if he gets bought out next year, it'll be around like, hey, what, 81 million, 82 million, something like that. Something yeah, it's at lines. 86 now. So, it'll be so, 77, 70, yeah, something, something like, like that. Yeah, it probably in the 70s, and, I'd say. Okay. Something like that. If – if you're Jimbo and you haven't done anything, all right, we'll we'll give him what was that 2019 or 2020 when he went nine and one. We'll give yeah, him that. 2020, yeah, 2020. Yeah, they finished fifth. Put an so. asterisk beside that year, whatever. Since 2013, he really hasn't done anything great as a head coach. If you go and you have four straight top ten recruiting classes, with your last one being your most recent being the number one in college football, and you go and you can't win but one conference game. And then you get bought out with $77 million buyout. Does anybody in the country touch that coach with a 10-foot pole? Or does he sit there on his ranch in Texas and never coach football again and become a Fox or SEC analyst? Because if if you're so bad that a team is willing to pay you $77 million, I don't know any other team or any other AD that would go out and say, yeah, I want him as our coach. That, that looks like a, a good idea. I mean, they're probably not going to pay that much money, but – if you've seen the success rate of what he's done, he's not worth $9 million. i tell you that right now. He ain't. No, he's not. Um, I mean, like I said, you know, he's had, he's had some really good recruiting classes. 
And be honest, I think he's done nothing with him. He's going to lose some of the guys out of oh, this yeah. recruit class. Oh, I mean, yeah. he's already suspended three or four of them. He ain't got that locker room. No, I, I just. Uh, Which I hate it for him because it's not all his fault. You know, the world's a little different place, so you got to treat players a little different than what you did, you know, back in, the, like I said, the mid 2000s when he was, you know, really the offensive guru. So, you know, football is different. College football is different. You got to change. And like I said, you either adapt or get left behind. Kirby Smart, Nick Saban, they're the ones, the best ones that's proven they can adapt. And you also can look at people not adapting and getting left behind. Dabo Sweeney, he's not the same. It's not the same Clemson that it was in 2013, 14, 15, 16. It's not, but it's also different college football. So yeah. he he's not adapting at the rate he needs to be in the right places he needs to be. You know, with the NIL, he's really he's and, uh, he's not at pro NIL, so it's hurting him. And, and the product is showing on the field. I mean, you can't run from it. I think the transfer portals killed him too because mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. have not added anybody and they've lost a lot of guys. And, and he says he doesn't want to go to the transfer portal because he wants to get his guys that he can build with his program and build them from the ground up, which I respect that. But you've got to give a little bit because you are going to get left in the dust and it's going to hurt you in the long run. Yeah, I, I just think um, – but with Jimbo specifically, it's just – and thing you look ahead to, it's not getting any easier. The SEC's only getting tougher. Ooh. You know, Alabama's still there. Georgia's obviously – a, a juggernaut. I mean, LSU, Brian Kelly comes in first year. By the way, we had mentioned in our SEC championship game set, LSU and Georgia, Brian <laughs> yeah. Kelly wins the West in year one. Uh, he's done an incredible job. Obviously, he's definitely not going anywhere. Um, and if you told so, anybody that LSU is going to win the SEC West with two losses, they'd have told you you are smoking crack at the beginning of the year. So whoever placed a bet, some money on that bet that, that LSU would win – they see West. I'm sure it was plus six hundred something. They they rolling in the dough right now. I, I owe LSU apology because after watching them week one and Florida State's turned out to be a good like they've had a really nice year, especially mm-hmm. compared to where they were. So, but I'm gonna be honest, watching that week one game, I didn't give me a shot to win the West. I mean, I'll be honest. I did, I mean, I just they improved a lot. Um, and then three and weeks later, they got shut out at home by Tennessee. And that's what really solidified it for me. I was like, yeah, they're done. Their season's yeah. over. And I even said on here, they're going to fold. And they completely proved me wrong. So, I also owe them an apology. Yeah, and to be honest, I mean, obviously, Alabama didn't have quite the season. I thought they were going to have either. That right. played a part in it. And obviously, they end up beating them. So, uh, but what he's done, made, and by the way, since, since we're already on LSU, we can kind of get into some recaps. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, it was, you know, it was kind of an ugly game at, in Fayetteville. Obviously, no KJ Jefferson for Arkansas. Yeah, that, I had no idea that was going to happen. I mean, I took LSU minus three, so I pushed, but I had no idea that um, he wasn't going to play. Like, I, I went in Saturday thinking he was going to play the whole game. Yeah. What happened? I didn't even hear anything. Well, he's had a banged up shoulder. I know. Yeah. I guess that's something that's just been lingering yeah, still. Yeah, what, BYU or the few weeks before BYU game? Yeah, it's it's been going on probably – I'd say a good half, to, I mean, probably four or five weeks, yeah, yeah. I'd say. So, um, I think it's kind of do that shoulder still. Malik Hornsby just didn't really have it. I mean, it's just too – They were headlights, just, just spying yeah. him with uh, Harold Perkins. And, and but Harold per- – that this just name this the Harold Perkins game because he tied was – Tied the career or the, the, the program record of single sacks in a game. Four and of them at As much as I love Quinchon Judkins – Harold Perkins is SEC freshman mm-hmm. of the year. Harold Perkins is already one of the best players in the SEC. He is 
an absolute problem. Like he he's already a problem, and he's gonna continue to be a problem uh, until he goes in the first round here in two years. And, and, he's yeah, he's got two more years. He is he's a, gonna go in in the first round as a, after his junior year for sure. Some guys, you just he's one of those few you see right away. Like you like Will Anderson. I knew his freshman year. I knew he's gonna be a first round pick. Mm-hmm. Like I know Dallas Turner's gonna be a first round pick. Malachi Starks for Georgia. I know he's going to be a first round, but like, there's just certain guys you just see they just they just have it. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. And he has that dude. He was everywhere, spying the quarterback, rushing off the edge. I mean, just I mean, he was the best player by far on the football field, and he completely took over the game and closed it out for LSU. It was. It was incredible to watch, honestly. And, and they dropped him in coverage like, a couple of times, and he did really good dropping in coverage. He, I was he's an all-around player. Damn, I hate we missed out on this <laughs> yeah. cat, man. Golly, I mean, man, I wish I could trade for him. Man, he is just incredible. I believe uh, he was committed to somebody else before LSU. I believe it was Brian A&M. Yeah, that's right, I believe that's it was right. A&M. Yeah, I, I think he flipped like right there close to signing mm-hmm. day or on signing day. Um, I wish he was on A&M's dumpster fire <laughs> yeah. team other than LSU because – Alabama may be SEC West champs right <laughs> yeah. now. So I wish he was in Aggie Land, but anyways, he's an incredible talent, though, and he's he's really fun to watch. Uh, kind of hate on LSU's team for the next few years. Yeah, yeah. But, but uh, those are the kind of guys you want to see in the SEC. I mean, that's why that's what those kind of guys makes the SEC what it is. So um, yeah, he he had an absolutely incredible. I mean, it was one of the. It was one of the better defensive performances I've seen. Just a guy literally just took the game over uh-huh. and closed it out. Like, hey, LSU's defense need to stop. Harold Perkins, like, I got you, bro. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm closing this out. So, um, a couple of his pass rushes, the way he was able to bend his body and get like that. He was one, like parallel to the ground almost. Yeah, like he, the way he kind of just got up under that tackle and – the tackle never laid a hand on yeah. him. Like, it's he was like so his, quick. his right shoulder pad was bl- like at the r- the tackle's knee. Yeah, the like, way he, he dipped his shoulder, that was I was like, and it was every time. But it, and what was even crazier was that every time that they needed a big defensive stop, he was the one who got it. Like yeah. no, without a doubt, he's like, yeah, I got you. Put put the team on my back, coach. Watch this. Because I'm gonna be honest too, and the reason Hornsby got pulled is is they all they did was just. Like, you've got a quarterback like Hornsby, uh-huh. who obviously is a struggling passer. You know he's going to run, and you've got an athlete like that just spying him the whole time. He's not going anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, he just spied him, and it was – He couldn't run away from him. Yeah, he could they, not. No, you can't run away from him. And, you know, they put the um, third string in. I, for, I forgot his last which, name. Which he, he did pretty but, good, number 10. He did really good yeah, for, for what he was asked to do. But, yeah, I mean, he – Obviously, gave him a little bit of a spark. Um, you know, gave him a, gave him a chance. You know, because their offense couldn't do much at all. And but I thought this was Arkansas's best defensive performance by far. I mean, yeah, I yeah. thought I thought LSU would uh, be able to move the ball on them a little bit more. And you know, I, I was. I mean, I wasn't surprised it was a close. I, like I knew it was going to be a close game because. You know, usually coming off that Alabama game, you, you know, you have a little bit of a hangover uh-huh. a little bit, and, and especially going on the road afterwards. And you knew Arkansas was going to come out with a good effort. So, I wasn't surprised. I, I did think LSU would be a little more successful, but Arkansas's D really stepped up, though. So Absolutely. And there, there's a game I kind of want to touch on. It didn't really have a lot of, uh, you know, ramifications on the, the layout of the SEC and how it's going to all end. But Tennessee and Josh Heupel, 
do an absolute run-up-the-score job on Missouri. I believe at the end of the third quarter, it was like 38 to something. And at the end of the game, Tennessee walked away with a 66 to 20-something, 24 victory. And they scored 38 in the second half, yeah. Tennessee did. It was <laughs> and on the last play, I mean, they were up 54 to 24. And Joe Milton tosses an absolute bomb down the field. I mean, ball went 65 yards in the air. I mean, they took a shot up 54 to 24. They're up 30 points. Yeah. And they took a You know bomb. who it was too, don't you? Squirrel uh, White from Clay Chalkwood. Really? Played against Huey Town last year. That was him who called it. He was good. He, yeah, he called good. it and he fell down like right at the three-yard line and they ran it in the next play or whatever. Like, an absolute run-up job done by Heupel. I, I don't know. I heard there were some things said in the offseason uh, by um, – Drinkwitz about um, Tennessee and what they had done and the program before Heupel even got there, and so apparently Heupel took some, you know, you know, he, he took a little, he took that on the chin a little bit. He was like, you know, I'm not going to let him come over here and talk about, you know, the program before I was even here. Apparently, he talked about some coach's wife, and so he was like, you know, he took that a little personal, and he, he ran up the score, and, and you know, because of that is what what the talks are on sports radio today. So. I honestly could not believe when he let Joe Milton rip that ball down the down to the end zone. I was that blew my mind when he dropped back. I was like, "Oh, they're throwing the ball!" And then two seconds later, he looks like does his best Hendon Hooker impression and just launches it down the field. Yeah, I actually because I had I was watching yeah, it, yeah. but we had it on our secondary mm-hmm. TV and we flipped over there because it, it it was running over because yeah, Alabama yeah. Ole Miss was coming on. So. Um, they kept running over. I thought, man, I wish they'd flip this off or where, like, it's it's over. It's a blowout. Yeah, it did take a minute to flip it. And then, it. Like, you, like you said, they drop back to – he throws that ball, and I see the ball in the air, and, like, it's, like, halfway down, and it's just going, going. <laughs> I, I told him, I said, oh, my God. Like, that <laughs> yeah. ball's still going. Like, he ripped it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was like – like when it got down to score white hands, I was like, "Oh my god, what a throw, dude!" I mean, and honestly, what a catch! How he caught up with that ball because I mean, yeah. he is like it shot out of a cannon. Yeah, he he let that ball rip. I was like, he's got a absolute cannon. So, but I, yeah, that really impressed me. Just that throw, I was kind of mesmerized by. It. I was like, "Oh my god, he swung yeah. that!" But they, they their um, their line closed at nineteen and a half. I took them at minus twenty and minus nineteen and a half, and they covered. They doubled them up. So yeah, I mean, they they dominated. Yes, I'm. Thankfully, I finally hit all day parlay. <laughs> yeah. It took me a little while, but uh, Georgia, Penn State, and Tennessee. Um, I think all covered were pretty much. I, I can't remember the Penn State score, but I know Georgia and Tennessee covered easily. So oh yeah, that was good. But um, speaking of Georgia, they kind of you know did what they do. Obviously, uh, kind of got a little interesting towards halftime. Yeah. They got the the uh, special teams return right for half, and then. Georgia pretty much just stepped on their throat in the second half, you know. Um, no surprise there. I mean, we, we knew it was a bad matchup for Mississippi State. And, um, yeah, just, just too much Georgia, to be honest with you. So Yeah, it was a slow first half for Georgia's offense. They, I mean, they only scored 17 points in the first half. It was 17-12 at halftime. Uh, honestly, when it got when it was 17-12 at halftime, I was in the stands and I was looking at checking the scores for my bets. I was like, Oh no, because I I put a fifty fifty burger on uh, Georgia when I was like, oh oh no, that's this going to be another Missouri game? And they came out in the second half and their defense lit it up. Only allowed one touchdown. They shut them out in the fourth quarter. They scored twenty eight points in the second half. I mean, they couldn't be stopped. They they iced it at the end of the game with a long like thirty something yard touchdown run. Uh, so and, you know, 
game over then. And I was like, all right, yeah, you know, bets hit here. But Georgia in the second half, they like they do every single week, they come out dominating and they, they're, they're going to outlast whoever they play. They could play for 120 minutes. They're going to outlast that team for 120 minutes. They're just – Kirby's biggest thing he preaches all the time is physical discipline or, or physical toughness. If you if you're in this room, you're physically tough. You know you're more physically tough than the opponent. You're gonna make it because that's mm-hmm. what we preach here. That's that's what it takes. Everybody's banged up. You gotta push through it and, and you know just like he said, be mentally tough or be physically and mentally tough. And that's what he's preached. And clearly, this team has bought into it. Um, I think this might be one of the better teams Georgia's ever had. I think it would give last year's team a, a run for their money. But it's just not as much of the star power yet as what we had last year because a lot of these guys haven't played multiple seasons. So they're just now starting their resume of what Georgia fans see. So I I like this game from Georgia. You know, I like their game plan, obviously. Started out a little bit slow, but they figured things out like they always do, and they dominated the second half, which is, you know, that's the Georgia's calling card, and that's the reason that they're undefeated. And I think that they're going to go um, 15-0, and kind of just like the 2019 LSU team did. I, I really don't see anybody in their path that's, that has a chance to legitly beat them. But, again, it can happen any given Saturday. Uh, playoffs, crazy things can happen. It takes one off day where you play, you know, 75% good and 25% bad, and the other team plays 100% good. Like, it, it can happen on any given Saturday – but I, I just don't see a team that is that is as locked in and executes as consistently as Georgia does this year. I just don't see a team in college football better than them. I, I don't either. I mean, I think, like you said, anything can happen in one game especially. Right. Um, you know, but I, I, obviously I think they're going to win. I mean, they're going to win out in the regular season, obviously. I think they're going to win the SEC title. I, I don't think LSU beats them. I think they mop the floor. Whatever the line is for the SEC championship game, hammer Georgia. I, I just with the way, especially with the way Arkansas's defense just played them, hammer Georgia. I know it's a few weeks away, but still, I'm I'm hammering Georgia this week. Uh, they're playing in Lexington against Kentucky. Shout out Vandy, 26 game SEC losing streak is over. They have Barkley's first one as a head coach. They have yeah, they have a zero game SEC losing <laughs> streak now. So. Um, I think Georgia is going to do R-rated things to Kentucky <laughs> the second they step off the bus in Lexington. I think it, I think they are going to absolutely abuse Kentucky's offensive line. Mm-hmm. And like I said, you may want to hide your children because <laughs> it is not going to be a pretty sight in Lexington. It's 22-and-a-half. Take them by 2,200 because they're going to blow Kentucky's doors off. If they, if they play anywhere near – their A game or what, like you said, I mean, I think if they play as good as they did the other night, they they cover that. So, um, yeah, I'm 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 hammering Georgia. Um, I I just I think I mean unless the line just gets crazy, but it's already went up a lot. I think they're going to blow Kentucky out probably. I think Will Levis is going to be so ready to come out of this game Saturday. <laughs> um, but <laughs> but yeah, I mean Georgia, like you said. Maybe an Ohio State with their kind of ta- – you know, obviously one game anything can happen. You have a, you have an off night. Ohio State is one of the few who can match them on talent. Now that Alabama's out of it because they're also one of the few that can match them on talent, um, I, I just don't see – and even I don't think Alabama would beat Georgia. I'm just saying I think on – on any given night, they would have a chance to just because they can match them on talent and they have a quarterback mm-hmm. that is capable. So, um, but 
Yeah, I, I do think they are the best team. I think if you could pick any team in the country and they could play them ten times, I think Georgia would win the majority of the games. Yep. Against like, but they could get beat in a one-game scenario. Like, in football and or any sport, the best team doesn't always win. Yeah. Like, there are, there's head-to-head matchups teams win because it is a 12-game season. Sometimes yep. you don't play the best. Like, the best team doesn't always win in one-game right. scenario. Like, like so. as bad as Texas A&M is this year – App State is not a better football team. Than yeah, I but mean, they beat them. Yeah, but they beat them. I mean, uh, so that's that's how it is. So in in one game, you know, and uh, you've got a team that is a talented, capable football team that's got good receivers, a good quarterback. You know, you never know. But I, I definitely think Georgia is the best team, though, and I, I think they got a great chance to go back to back. Obviously, absolutely. Um, another team. Uh, that got their doors blown off is South Carolina Saturday because Florida put a number on them. Um, defensively, 38-6, to six, I think is what it was. Yeah, Florida was flying around, man. Obviously, Anthony Richardson had a, had a really nice day. Um, I'm still high on Florida. I've been, I've been high on Florida all year. And, you know, they've had some ups. They've had their ups and downs, which we knew they would. But um, but I, I do like kind of what they have developing mm-hmm. there. I, man, I, I would love to see Anthony Richardson – be back another year under Billy Napier, develop some more. Um, they're going to get more and more pieces in there. Um, but, yeah, I'm excited to kind of see what they can do going forward. But, um, yeah, they, they had a dominant performance, though, tonight. Their defense especially, that was definitely one of their better defensive performances, if not the best all year. So, I, I like what Florida's got going on. They got the six and four. They've got Vandy coming up. And then they've got a big game against Florida State and rivalry week. I can't wait for that game. That's going to be a, that's gonna oh, be a that really be a fun game. game so. Especially with the way Florida's trending. Um, you know, they were at one point were 4-4, four and four, now they're 6-4 and four or yeah. something along those and lines. And I feel like and Florida State's really had yeah. a nice year too, especially from where they've been. So that's going to be a really fun matchup. That's probably a game I'm – and that's actually a Friday night game, rivalry week. Ooh. So you got the Egg Bowl Thursday night. You got a couple games Friday night and kind of headlined by Florida and Florida State. So, kind of got a little weekend there going. It's going to be nice. So, I, I'm excited about that. But, yeah, I'm very I'm very much looking forward to see how they play in that game, but how they kind of finish the regular season and where they go in a bowl game. But, yeah, I, I really like the way they're recruiting and what they've got going on there. But it was a great performance Saturday by them. Absolutely. Sure. And there's a game I want to touch on. Uh, it's a game that, that I bet on, I, I took, and – uh, it was North Carolina. They ended up winning 36-34 at Wake Forest. Wake Forest got bit by a turnover bug again. They threw an interception. Um, but really, uh, the player of the game to me was North Carolina's quarterback, Drake May. Uh, he went 31 for 49, 448 yards with three touchdowns. Um, he also ran for a touchdown with 19 carries and 71 yards. I didn't get to watch a whole lot of this game because it was in the middle of the uh, Auburn game, so I was checking back and forth on my phone, watching it here and there. But I was – obviously, I took uh, North Carolina plus three and a half and then plus four and a half when the line went up. I took them both. Um, had a nice little little lump sum bet on them too. I, I just really had a good feeling about them the last two weeks. I mean, Wake Forest went from a 6-1 and one team who barely lost to Clemson to a six and four team now, who is just a mediocre at best college football team, and yeah. we were thinking they're going to be the ACC champs this year, mm-hmm. and it just the wheels fell off. So now that the ACC championships uh, matched up, it's going to be Clemson and North Carolina. And if I was to pick right now, I'm not going to lie, I like North Carolina. The, the way that they're playing, dude, Matt Brown's got them going. They, they he's got them. 
focused and locked in down there playing some good football. But I don't see anybody who's going to stop them now. They've got that momentum going. They've got that belief. I mean, they they were down 34-33 to in this game, or 33, 33, 34-33, I think, believe what it was. And they were able to drive down in the last minute or two and kick a game-winning field goal. So I I like North Carolina to win the ACC this year. I took NC State in a preseason bet. I'm going to have to pay that $15 here in a little while. But um, <laughs> I, I was – when when they jumped out early, they jumped out to a big lead, and then Wake Forest started chipping back. I was like, dang, they're, Wake Forest is probably going to get them. They're at home. They got you know Sam Hartman. He's a good quarterback. They're slowly chipping away. I thought I thought UNC was going to let it slip away from them, but they were able to get that win right there at the end of the game, which I thought was pretty cool. And you know, gives them an eight and one or nine and one record now, um, and going to the AC championship game for the first time since probably twenty thirteen or fourteen. Uh, that's the last time I, I think they played uh, Florida State when Jameis was there in the ACC championship game. That might have been the last yeah. time they've been in it. Well, I'll tell you what. You mentioned Drake May, and my absolute dream transfer portal scenario, and I don't even know if he would enter, <laughs> but please, man, can we, like, what do you call it? What, what's the word? On, what, interfere or whatever? <laughs> yeah. Tamper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tamper. I want to tamper in the portal – Get Drake May. He was originally committed to Alabama. He flipped to North Carolina. He's a North Carolina legacy. Like, his brother yeah, Luke yeah. May play on the basketball team and everything like that. My dream scenario is he's Bryce Young's successor next year. <laughs> That's what I'm, I'm – so I'm concocting that up in my mind right now. I've already told everybody this. So I told my dad, I was like, That's my That's my dream scenario. He was committed at one time, so I know he likes Alabama. So – but anyways, because he is he is legit. I think he's going to be QB one next year in the draft. I mean, he he is very very good. Um, so yeah, I, I just want to throw that out there, throw it to the wall, see if it sticks. Basically, but <laughs> yeah. that, that's my that's my dream portal acquisition for this off season. I want to see Drake made Alabama, but um, I did want to get into this Alabama Ole Miss game a little bit because. It was, I mean, one of the bigger matchups of the day. Great game. Great game. Uh, you know, Ole Miss was still in it if they won, mm-hmm. you know, obviously. Um, they still need a LSU – you know, even if they won, they still wouldn't need an LSU loss to A&M, which wouldn't have happened anyway. So, um, but this was a really good game. Ole Miss jumped out, 10 nothing lead. Um, Alabama could not do anything offensively in the first, you know, really first quarter or so. Um thought the second half was a lot better. I thought guys really competed hard. Yeah. Um, I mean, Jace McClellan stepping up big time for, for Jameer Gibbs. Uh, didn't play most of the game with the ankle injury. Um, so, I thought he really stepped up big. Byron Young, D. Lyman stepped up, had a huge game. You know, Bryce kind of doing what he does. Um, I just thought the guys really did play hard. I thought the backs were running hard. Receivers were really fighting after the catch. So, Obviously, it wasn't a perfect offensive game. The The thing that probably irritated me the most was is we had two drives in the fourth quarter and we just couldn't put touchdowns on the board. Yeah. We had to sell for field goals, and that ultimately let them have a chance to, to win the game at the end. Uh, you know, one touchdown really would have put our reach because our, our defense was played well in the second half. They only mm-hmm. gave up seven. So, um, you know, really, if we could have put together a touchdown drive in the fourth quarter – I mean, we basically could have ended it, but we just we keep we kept having to sell for field goals and um, just couldn't sustain or really finish drives. So that was really the biggest irritation. But I was I really saw what I wanted to see from guys playing hard, mm-hmm. playing with pride. Um, you know, I thought they, you know, even though it wasn't 
pretty for four quarters. I thought they took a step in the right direction as far as finishing the season the yeah. right way. So that's really what I want to see because the offense, it, I mean, it hasn't lived up to expectations. I don't think it's going to. I mean, we're this far into the – we're this late yeah. into the season now. I think th- this point it kind of is what it is. Yeah. You're going to have to evaluate in the offseason. But, um, you know, they were able to obviously, you know, do enough. And the, the defense got a couple clutch stops at the end of the game. So – but um, I thought the biggest thing was they were able to uh, kind of slow down Ole Miss's run game in the second half and make, force Jackson Dart to do third and long, third and eight, third and ten. And, yeah, they had you know, under that, four carries a pop. Like, Alabama's defense did well. Yeah, and I think, too, and, and most of their success was in the first half. They really, you know, were able to adjust in the second half and, like I said, was able to, you know, because Ole Miss's offense isn't going to be that successful if they're – Constantly in third and eight, right. third and ten, you know, like that. We're also over on fourth downs. Yeah, so I think, um, yeah, I was really happy with the way that Alabama played in the second half and and was able to to, to close it out on defense. But um, the, I'm not know. gonna lie, the best play of the game. I mean, there was a bunch of good plays from both sides, but the best play and best throw I think I saw all day mm-hmm. was Alabama was in in the red zone. And he Bryce Young threw like a, a slant to I believe it was Jermaine Burton. It was. He was he, off RPO he, actually. Yeah, he, yeah. he was getting hit and he kinda like little sidearm baseball type and threaded the needle perfectly. Mm-hmm. Like I saw it from one angle from like the angle the camera angle right behind uh Bryce Young. Yeah. The unbelievable pass. Yeah, I hit and that's that's kind of been my gripe too is Alabama used to run RPOs like they were going out. I mean, yeah. honestly, two, I mean, how many guys did Tua kill with an RPO slant? Over and over and over Red and Red motor out right there. And every time we've run them this year, we've had success with, like, it's been a successful part. You even think that's, you think that's Bill O'Brien? Do you think that's Saban just saying, you know, we're going away from it? I think it's Bill O'Brien because, cause honestly, I mean, you look at this system, you look how, how late they're running the play clock now because he – because this pro style, you know, this NFL offense, basically, a lot's on your quarterback setting protections. Uh-huh. You you constantly see him at the line of scrimmage checking and stuff. And I think I wish they would have made RPOs and some of the things we've done in the past more of an emphasis. I think we've went away from that. And we've really just – we're kind of a straight drop back yeah. now, you know. Um, So – I just do, I just don't feel like, and with our offensive line being inconsistent, I just think that's hurt us more than anything this year. So I would like to, and and Saban actually hinted at it during his radio show this week, like that they're gonna go back to more RPOs and not. And so that kind of hinted to me like Bill O'Brien's not gonna be here, yeah, and I think I don't, we, we, we kind of know that anyway. Yeah, I think but he's I do sure. think they made a mistake. Um, I, I kind of wish. You saw more of the Steve Sarkeesian, you know. I, I feel like, too, not as many motions, you know, and, and just we haven't done a good job of, of getting the ball to our best playmaker. You know what I mean? Like, Jameer Gibbs is our best playmaker, obviously. But, what was he doing on the sidelines for the whole second half? Like, uh, what was he, the deal? He uh, he hurt his ankle. Got hurt? So, okay, yeah, okay. so that's why he uh, – Still he, had, like, five touches at one point. Yeah, and that's kind of what everybody's wondering, and – to be honest, CBS really didn't do a good job of updating everybody with it. So um, yeah, for they, real, I did. They kind of kept listening in, trying to hear. I'm like, what's going on? I was looking online. I'm like, why is he not playing? But yeah, he when he was run off the field after the game, he was kind of hobbling. Yeah. So he um, he he's had a little shoulder problem a couple weeks ago, but I think this was more of his ankle yeah. this time because um, 
obviously he's their he's their best player on offense, best skill player. So, I mean, it was kind of odd because, like I said, they didn't comment on it for a while. So it was they were kind of like just leaving it alone like that. You're thinking, oh, they're just not playing him because he was standing there. He looked like he was fine. Yeah. He uh he actually did have a little ankle problem. Okay. They said so. I think. And obviously, Jace kind of got the hot hand going a little bit. He had some really physical runs. I thought he looked about as well as he has um, all year. And, you know, he had a – They finally got the running game established later in the game. Looked good. Yeah. I I still think they're sleeping on my man, Roy Dell. They got to give him the ball, man. They only gave him two carries the other day. And he does get a decent amount of stats because they trust his pass protection yeah, the most. Yeah. So you see him a lot of short yard. He's kind of the short yardage back, goal line type back. And they do use him a lot on third downs and obvious passing downs because they they don't really trust Jason McClellan's pass protection that much. Like Roy Dell is the, the better pass protection right. back of all the backs. So he, that does help him get on the field a little bit more. But I would like to see him – uh, I know I'm a little biased. I love Jace McClellan as well, but I, I would like to see him get – because he is a very physical Well, you runner, also so. know what he can do because we saw it for four yeah, years. Seen, and, yeah. I, and I know it's a different level. It's at high school. But the ability, what he can do on a football field is still there, and it has progressed. So, give him more touch, which he's going to get more touches next year. Like, he, he's going to. He's been in, this, he's been in the program for so yeah. long now. Like, he's – He's one of their staple guys. He's going to be a leader next year. He's going to be a guy. He's been really good on special to. teams yeah. too. He uh, he actually made a tackle on the kickoff uh, team the other day, and he's on the punt team too. So I tell you, I've, I've talked about him on the podcast multiple times, but the dude's got a fantastic head on his shoulders. He's got great mindset. He's not he's not the typical. Um, hometown douchebag who made it big, who forgets about his hometown. You know, I hate, I've never heard a, a negative word about him. There's been other players from our high school go play big places, and all you hear is negative stuff about him. I've never heard one negative thing. I wonder thing. who you're talking Yo, about. <laughs> I, I'm sure y'all could use y'all's imagination, but I, I've never heard one negative thing from anybody about this guy. So that's what I hate Alabama with all I got, but the, I really want to see him succeed because, you know, Hueytown pride and all that, but he's also a really good kid. So I, I mean, he he's going to get his his chances, and he's going to make the most of it because he prepares himself well. And I, that, he he is what Nick Saban's looking for in a player and in a guy that he, he's looking for to coach. So he he's going to be fine. Yeah. Oh yeah. And and he hasn't necessarily got the ball a ton, but I mean, if you combine all his playing time between special teams and and when he is in there at right. running back, like. I mean, he's get like he's on the field a good bit. So I mean, I think over time he's going to get the ball more and more. And um, obviously, it's been a little bit skewed this year just because of Jameer Gibbs is just a special running right. back, especially with what he can do in the receiving game. Also, mm-hmm. I mean, it, he's just a kind of a unique guy in that way. So I think that's kind of maybe skewed the numbers a little bit. You know, get him getting such a bulk of the work, right? But, um, but, yeah, but overall from the Alabama game, I, I kind of saw what I wanted to see. And just the way the guys competed, that was mainly the one. Because I kind of knew the offense probably wasn't going to be great. I mean, it's yeah. like, you know, and if you look at their numbers, the numbers are really good. I mean, you, you know, total offense, points per game, like, they're all good enough. Like, they're top 10, 15, you know, but it's just something's amiss. You know, like, it's kind of hard to pinpoint it a little bit, but – Something's just been a little bit off just from right. the execution this year. So I know that's something. There's going to be staff changes, obviously. Um, you think – it's almost written in stone that Bill O'Brien's gone. Do you yeah. think they retain Pete Golding? 
He's been there. Was it his fourth season there, right? Uh, yeah, so he's been there. Let's see. I believe this is – he was there 2018, 19, 20. So this is his fifth, fifth year as year, defensive coordinator. Okay. Yeah, so – So you think um, they retain him or do you think that they've seen enough and they move on? To be honest I, – I don't think the defense is terrible. The no. offense is bad. It, it should not be – sputtering at times. It should be more explosive than what it is. But the defense, I don't get the gripes as much as I do the offense. Obviously, I think he has he has much better odds of staying than Bill mm-hmm. O'Brien, certainly. I, I don't know. I just – I'm t- like you said, I mean, the defense hasn't been bad, but they're not as – they've lost that – I just don't feel the, the physical I, – I don't know, just something – even though it's not bad, it's not yeah. a huge problem, but something just seemed a little off on defense, and I, I don't know. I feel like Here, he Here's maybe, my question. Keep going. Sorry. sorry. No, you're good. I was just saying I, something seems a little bit amiss on defense mm-hmm. as well, even though it's neither unit's bad. Right, right. But I still don't think they've met that level of expectation uh-huh. that you thought. I, I think that goes for both units. It's like – when the defense plays great, the offense is a little right. mess. And the offense, like Tennessee game, play great defense. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like it's. I don't know for whatever reason it just hasn't. I, I think a lot of this is just just because, but it's just not complement each other well. Right. So I think. I don't know. I, I think they're. I would. I'm kind of leaning to say maybe not. Okay, here's my here's my thinking. If you want my dream scenario here. Um, this is why they call it a dream, but I, I, I want Drake May, obviously. Probably not going to happen, but that's why you call it a dream. Um, and then I'd like to see Garrett Riley, TCU. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Lincoln Riley's brother, TCU offense corner, has had a fantastic year. Yeah. A guy that I've heard mentioned, but you probably hasn't been mentioned nationally, I would love to see D'Amico Rhines come be out yeah. by defense corner. Defense corner of the San Francisco 49ers. They are, they were third in total defense in the NFL last year. They're first in total defense this year. Like, and he's like, I've heard a lot of positives about him. He's from Bessemer. Yeah, he played. He's an All American from Alabama from '02 to '05. I don't know. I think he's a guy that could. And clearly, he's been successful. He's been on the 49ers staff. He was quality control coach on defense. Then he was out uh, inside linebackers coach for a few years, and then obviously worked his way up to defense corner the last two years. So I don't know. I, I think that's a possibility um, because you know obviously he's kind of a hot uh-huh. name among NFL coordinators. Like he's an up and comer. So I don't know. I, I think I would like to see something like that. But I certainly think offensive staff changes yeah. are definitely coming. I wouldn't be surprised at all, though, if they decide to part ways with Pete Golden. Though, I just... here's my question on that, though. Offensively, you can say, yeah, he needs to get out of there because Saban's not an offensive guy. But he probably doesn't have his hand in the offensive cookie jar as much as he does in the defensive cookie jar. So he's a defensive guy. He works with the defensive backs, all that stuff. So he's more involved with the defense. Can you really blame Pete Golden as much as you can Bill O'Brien because? I mean, obviously Nick Saban has to sign off on their game plans, and he's he's the guy. He makes the higher college yeah. stuff. But defensive-wise, I feel like Nick Saban has more of a say in the game plan and what goes on in the game and making the calls than he does in the offense. So yeah. oh, I don't yeah. think you can blame or hate on Pete Golding as much as fans are because if they're being realistic with themselves, Saban has just probably about 50% of that defensive plan or, or control of it 
just like Pete Golding does, and he probably has, I don't know, 30% control of the offense. So just because of that's what his mindset is and that's what he's always been as a defensive guy. Yeah. So I don't I get the hate from the offensive side, but I, I don't always understand the hate from that Pete Golding gets because Nick Saban is still the main DC there, I feel like. Yeah, I'm, I agree. I mean, I agree totally. And I, that's kind of why I've I've given him more uh-huh, leeway right. than, than, like, I'm not, like, Pete Golding's seat's not as hot for me as Bill O'Brien's seat. Bill O'Brien's seat's scalding him right now. For me, Pete Golding's is warm. You know, right. like it's and, and if and if Lane or if if Nick Saban was the type of coach that Lane Kiffin is, then Bill O'Brien's seat would be not as hot as Pete Golding's is. It's just the type of coach he is is why this argument is valid. Yeah, I just think um, I don't know. Like I said, I could I could see a case. It, like I could see him returning definitely, but I could also say, hey, let's try something right. a little bit different because you know how fans are mm-hmm. and. Well, when things don't go right or don't go as you expect, somebody's always looking for somebody to blame. Who can we can? <laughs> yeah. Like, who is hitting the road? And obviously, you, you've seen the type of de- – you know, you've had Kirby Smart mm-hmm. and then you've had Jeremy Pruitt and, and then it's like everybody sees like Pete Golding's not really on that level. So everybody wants to can him, obviously, right. especially when things are not going like you expect. And you're not canning Saban. Nope. So it's like – you know, who can we get rid <laughs> yeah. of it? So he's the guy that's even if some of it's not his yeah, like even though some of it is not his fault, but at the end of the day people are like, Well, he's the defensive mm-hmm. coordinator and our defense is struggling at times, so you know, and, and we've dealt with him for four or five years right. now, so it's like I can see that. I definitely think O'Brien's gone. I can make the case for Golden either way. I think I don't know, I just I feel like there may just be like Let's just kind of have a clean slate oh. a little bit. Just let's start over. So I'm kind of leaning towards he's not going to be there, but it would not surprise me if he's back either. I'm kind of on the fence about right. that. I think it's 95 to 99% sure Brian's, O'Brien's oh, yeah. gone, yeah. if not 100. But, um, but yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I think there's going to be some other positional coach changes also. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think they're the only two. Do you think it's going to be a little minor staff mix-up? I think so, yeah, because, I mean, that's – Kind of typical anyway, because Alabama yeah. has a lot of guys get promoted elsewhere. But I, I think, um, I think there will be some other staff. Like I, I think there is going to be some changes. So uh, obviously, and that's kind of typical when things don't go right. There's usually some changes on the staff. So we'll see what happens. But that's kind of my dream list. If you want, if you want my, mm-hmm. if you want that, what I'm hoping for, I, I would, I would be fine with those choices. There's some other. Um, Pretty good ones too, I think. But I, I like those two, and but we'll see what happens. So, thank you guys for tuning in this week's episode of Saturdays in the SEC. We'll see you back next week. The best conference right now. It's it's, it's really not that close. The SEC is the best conference.